This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Finding Your Bliss, a show that helps you find and follow your bliss. We have a great show in store for you. First up is Christina Rilo, the author of Overwhelmed and Over It. Later on in the program, we are joined by Lori Perlstein. She's an improv artist who has worked as an actor, comedian, and casting director. And this show's featured artist is 17-year-old singer-songwriter Paige Blossom. Women stretched beyond capacity, women struggling to get it all done, women sacrificing themselves to take care of everything and everyone else, not just for a moment or a season, but as an ongoing cycle from which they can't break free. These are words from a brand new and fantastic book called Overwhelmed and Over It. Embrace your power to stay centered and sustained in a chaotic world. And today on the show, bestselling author Christina Rilo is here with an important message, which is is more timely now than ever. And that message is this way of working isn't working and it has to change now. If you're feeling overwhelmed and over it, this is the perfect show for you. So Christina Rilo, the author of Overwhelmed and Over It, is with us. And as a transformational leadership advisor, three-time best-selling author and host of the popular Feminine Power Time podcast, she is recognized worldwide for her work helping women to make shift happen in the lives they lead, in the work they do, and, and I love this part, in the world they wish to create. So, Arilo offers workshops all over the world, and she's coming to us today live from her home in Seattle. Hi, Christine. Welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Hello, Judy. So good to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm so excited to dive into a conversation with everyone today. Oh, same here. Love your book. Love the title. And first, I just want to ask you, what exactly is a transformational leadership advisor? And that's such a good question, Judy. And no one has ever asked me that question <laughs> except for you. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I'll break it down. We hear the words, you know, coach and you know, other things a lot. For, but for me, the, that this word transformational leadership advisor is actually very specific. And so if you think of the word transformation, transformation is about making change, making shift. And I think it's really empowering for people when we get, we actually have the power to make shift happen. And then leadership, you know, is one of those words that I really would like to reclaim for all women everywhere. I know a lot of the women I work with, when I say leader or leadership, they think, oh, that's not me because I don't have that position or I don't have that title or I don't, you know, have X number of followers. And I really believe that leadership is a choice that you make and that you're the leader of your life. And advisor is, um, I like to think of it as like the person who stands next to your left, um, like a wise woman who can help, you know, give you some insight, hear what you're saying, point you in the right direction, but that ultimately helps you find the answers within yourself. And so you kind of string those all together. And um, I really, it's about working with women who want to embrace their power to be leaders, to create the world that they desire and would like some support and guidance on, on how to do it differently than how most of us have been trained and taught. Awesome. Your your book, Overwhelmed and Over It, which is just such a great title, as I just mentioned, were you yourself, Christine, overwhelmed and over it? And is that what prompted you to write this book? 
uh, well, more than one time, Judy and everyone. Um, yes, and it is, it's interesting because the, the the first moment that this title and kind of the genesis behind it came to me was over ten years ago. Really, when this book start to started to form, when I was um, finishing my book tour for my first book, choosing me before we in two thousand and nine, and I found myself um, in a hot August day in Texas, sitting in an unimpressive hotel room on the toilet seat with my hands in my face, having what I've come to call the superwoman sob. And Judy, maybe you've had this, maybe the listeners out there, have you had this moment when the pressure so much, the spontaneous tears just come streaming down your face? I realized that while it looked really glamorous to be flying around the world, being on all these TV shows, and I was also working two jobs, consulting job, and then my building my transformational leadership business, and it wasn't having the impact that I desired. And I Noah sent me that text, and I like just looked at it, and I was like, "Oh my god, everything I love is there: my dog, my house, my man, my life, my friends, and I am flying around everywhere." And I'm all by myself and I'm not even having an impact. And I realized in that moment that I was the one who had created an unsustainable, unfulfilling reality, which was pretty hard to swallow. But it was that moment when I was like, wait a second, if I created this, I can change it. Absolutely. Now more than ever, I would think that this book is so timely and so wonderful. Are you hearing that from people? who are just saying, thank you for writing this, because I am so overwhelmed and over it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I started writing the book three years ago. I've been researching it for 10 and trying to figure out how to live differently for 10. But I started it three years ago. So it was interesting when COVID, the pandemic started in America anyway, I was um, in my final edits. And I was, you know, the, so much of, of what I'm trying to help people see is that we don't have to do it the way we've always done it. So like those overwhelmed Superwoman Zob moments that Judy and I are talking about that I'm sure everyone listening has had, usually in the past, we've just stuffed it down and we've pushed it down and we move on or like maybe we revolt for like a weekend and we promise ourselves we'll do a better job at, you know, finding work-life balance and all of this, you know, baloney. And then we just, we just go back in because that's the way that life has been constructed. If you, most of us have just been assimilating into how we think we have to like get up at five in the morning and, you know, get our kids to school. And we have to like all the stuff that keeps us trapped in ways of working that humans created that aren't necessarily how it has to be and all these expectations for how fast we have to do things and how much we should be able to be getting done. And I feel like the 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 pandemic has been like a big like button the universe pop you know hit and said humans wake up the way we're living and working and st structuring our society is burning not just people out but also the planet out. And those two things are very correlated. Absolutely. So how can we start, Christine, and how can women specifically, uh, who I think this book is really aimed at, start to put wellness at the core of their life and not see it as just an afterthought? Well, first of all, I just want to say to everyone out there listening and to you, Judy, and to me and all the producers, it's not our fault that we haven't been able to figure this out before now. And work-life balance and stress management and finding more time, all these strategies that we've been given are more like Band-Aids on um, a dam about to burst. And so I really think this is a great time to look around your own life. The first step is self-awareness because you can't change what you can't see. So the first step is to look around your life and see what's in alignment and what's not, what's sustaining you, what's draining you, what's supporting you, what's making you sacrifice yourself and, and get really honest with yourself. 
And then that's really where the breakthrough starts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You also encourage women in the book to embrace the power of their fierce feminine heart. I love that phrase. What do you mean by that? So our power center is women is not our brain. Um, It is actually our heart, which is also part of the reason why we haven't been able to figure this out by now, because we've been told by the overculture that you have to be logical, you have to be rational. But think of like a fierce mother lion who's like going to like stand up for her cub. Or if you look at like when someone's really made a change in the world, they came from their heart. There was passion and courage and they were willing to stand up and be like, actually, no more. We're going to do this differently. And you also have a phrase that sort of goes along with that. And it almost like works together with that called harmonic defiance. What is that exactly? And how does it create positive change in our lives and in the world? Judy, I love that you asked me about harmonic defiance. You all are going to love this. So I am a big believer in teaching women about their feminine superpowers because most of us in our traditional training did not learn about our feminine superpowers. We learned much more about being logical and rational and all of that. And harmonic defiance, I'm going to actually, I'm going to read the definition of that's okay, Judy, from the book, because it says it all. And it's, it's really one of our biggest powers to make change happen in a way that actually is sustainable. So here's what harmonic defiance is. Hmm. It is choosing to defy the systems and realities that do not work for you, not by ranting and raging, but by doing things differently in wise ways that cultivate harmony. Harmonic defiance is choosing to proactively create new realities by how you design your life, how you lead within your organization, your community, and your family, and how you show up in your relationships. And here's the part I love. You don't ask for permission. You just choose what is in harmony and you do it. Oh, I love that. That should be like on a sticky note on your <laughs> on your washroom mirror, you know, just so you can see that and and have that ingrained in you. That's so that's so uh, empowering. And you also say that the work life balance is the wrong equation. What is the right one? Well, work life balance is by its nature what's called the duality reality. And um, if I want you all to kind of the best way to do this is to visualize this in your in your mind's eye. In the book, I have a glyph of a woman who's standing in the middle wearing a suit, and she has a rope on one side and a rope on the other. Like if you were to put your hands out, work on one side, life on the other, and it's like a tug of war. So in a duality reality, these two things like I'm even moving my body back and forth right now. Work. Life, work, life, right? And like you're caught in the middle, and it's like when you're, it's why when you're at work, you think, oh, I should be with my family, or I'm, I'm falling down in this, or why don't I ever have any time for myself? And when you're actually doing the things you love in your life, you're like, I should be working. So it's just like any any duality, reality, good, evil, black, white, Republican, Democrat. Like you can't, you'll just keep in this tug of war. So what I encourage women to do, and also just by the way, think of this: work and life. That means that if you're if it's work life balance, that means everything but work has to fit in the category of life. And when I talk specifically to mothers, for any of you that are mothers out there, parenting is work. I, I think I mean many women I've talked to said it's actually it's easier for me to go to the office and do my work. Being a parent is yes. you know harder. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> and as is a society. If we don't value parenting as one of the most important parts of the work a woman and a man or a person does, I mean, we could talk about that in a whole show, Judy, of like looking at the way we've designed our society because we because the society doesn't actually really value parenting and motherhood. If it did, it wouldn't be structured the way that it is. So I think there's this like radical act of like stepping out of this line of trying to like keep your life in equilibrium. And I teach 
which is a, about how to actually create your life to focus on cultivating harmony where all the diverse parts work together. And then balance is really how you want to feel within, but it's not balance is not how you should organize your life because there's too many parts. It's too diverse to keep it in an equilibrium state. So much there. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. That could be a whole show in itself, the work-life balance. You also talk about um, a very important word, which is chi or life force, and you encourage your readers to cultivate their life force daily. What do you mean by this? Why is it so important? And what is the, the life force? So life force is like your juice. If you were a cell phone battery, it would be your battery charge. If you were a car, it would be your energy charge or how full your gas tank is. And what most people do is we run ourselves ragged. We drain and deplete ourselves until we get sick and then we until we hit burnout. And then it takes a lot more time and a lot more energy and a lot more money to actually, you know, refill or refuel just like I don't know if do you ever do this, but my cell phone battery is known to go down to 1%. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> right? And then you go to pick it up and you're like, I don't have any charge. You don't have any charge. And the computers do that. And that's so funny, Judy and everyone. That happens a lot when I'm overspending my life force. And I was like, that's really interesting. And so your life force is the same. And it's you want to be in relationship with the amount of energy that you have on a daily basis so that you know when you're, you're getting low before you you hit rock bottom. Absolutely. You want to prevent the cold rather than cure it. And it, it, it's sort of like a metaphor. You're right. When, when you're on 1% battery and when your computer is dying, it's almost reflective of where you're at in your life, right? And it, it's it's sort of a sign that uh, that you're you're overdoing it. And do you think that one of the ways to, um, to basically, you know, um, protect that life force inside of you is to meditate? Are you a meditator? I do meditate. I've been I've been meditating, gosh, almost for 20 years. I have to say to everyone, it gets easier. <laughs> Over time, when I first started, I would start, I would literally fall asleep and drool on myself. Hey, I can like, drop in within like 30 seconds and I don't leave the house without it. But it's it's one of the things that I do. I actually, in the Overwhelmed and Over It, in the, I think it's in the, the chapter on Life Force or, yeah, or the one after that, I talk about the four points of connection, um, more like a recipe for how you want to start your day. Because the first hour of your day determines how the rest of your your day goes. And meditating is one thing. But meditation, you know, some people think, Oh, my God, how am I ever going to sit on a cushion for an hour? I don't have 20 minutes. You actually don't need 20 minutes or 30, 30 minutes or an hour. It's, 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 it's much more about being able to connect on the inside, but also to connect to your physical body to connect with others that you feel supported. So it's like a mindset shift that it's not about doing more in the morning. It's about doing the first hour of your morning differently. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. It's so true. I'm, I'm, I'm actually a meditator and meditation is a big part of our show and it actually gives you energy. It fuels you and it, it and, and it and you're so right. It doesn't have to be 30 minutes or a major thing. It can be five to 10 minutes, but it's just sort of being still and finding that sanctuary within yourself. And it, it can really serve you well throughout the day and, and, and the night to, to start that way. Instead of managing stress, you also encourage women to release stress daily in ways that support, not sabotage them. Can you give us a practical example of how that works? Yeah, let's let's talk about the other end of what I call bookending your day. So there's the first hour of your day, which sets the tone for the for your whole day. 
And on the flip side, on the evening, which I call your downshifting practice, um, the, specifically, we'll talk about the last hour and even the last couple hours, you want to proactively release stress because you're picking up stress throughout the day, yours and others. And it's kind of like, it's, there's actually a term, it's called your allostatic load. And if you think about it, like in terms of like a garbage truck, right, that's continuing to pick up garbage, if you don't dump the truck, it gets really smelly and really heavy and you can't stand it and you can't stand yourself <laughs> and most other people won't be able to stand it. So you got to, you got to release it, not manage it. And so if we don't, I don't know what yours are, Judy and everyone, but I'll out myself right now is that we all have self-sabotaging ways. We, we, we release stress. Mine includes a brownie and or a glass <laughs> of wine. It's all about the sugar, you know, it's all yeah. about the sugar for me. And, um, <laughs> And it's okay to do it sometimes. Some people numb out to Netflix. Some people, you know, there's many kinds. Some people shop. Some people start a second day of work at the end of the day. Or they fall asleep in their clothes watching TV. But it's about getting aware of those that are and making sure they don't become habitual mm-hmm, and finding mm-hmm. other things that you can do that become like a ritual of how you end that last hour. Um, and there's very simple but significant things you can do to do that. Minus licorice. Licorice. Specifically black licorice. Yes, it's mm. my my weakness and uh, not good. And licorice and also jujubes. <laughs> <laughs> I could, and the list could go on. But yeah, you're so right. And when we're sort of on top of it and we've started our day or ended our day properly, we may not get into those habits, which is, which is really good. You, you talk about how women are bankrupt because of overgiving, overworking, overstretching. In fact, you have 13 overs. What are some of the 13 phrases with the word over in it? And how do we become aware that we're overdoing it, that we're overextending ourselves? So in my research over the last decade, I identified 13 different specific ways that women overgive. And so think of it like uh, there's a giving and receiving. And so we're much more comfortable like if you were to even put your hands out in front of you and your giving hand is your right hand, your receiving hand is your left hand. So if you just took your right hand and went like, give, I'm giving, I'm giving, take, to, I'm giving withdrawals, take a withdrawal here, here, have more, have more. And then you like, then you try to receive with the left hand. I got to fill it up. I got to fill it up. Right. Versus what I'm trying to help women do is like receive, retain, then give, receive, retain, then give. Now, the challenging thing is you have to see, you can't change what you can't see. So most women and people really, this is, you know, systemic, don't know that they're overgiving to bankrupt themselves emotionally, physically, even financially. And so I broke these down. So there's like overcompensating where there's like, a, there's like a hole, there's like something, a need that needs to be filled in your organization and in your family. And because other people won't or can't, you step into it and you pour your life force, your energy, your time into it. And you don't have it to give. And the system will keep taking, whether it's a family system, right? Or it's a, or it's a business system or, or an organization system. And you don't even think that you're, right. you're doing it. Or I, I see this with over-promising where people will be yes. like, can you do this for me? And then before even considering whether you have the resources, time, space, you blurt out, yes, I can do that. And your inner wisdom's like, no, you can't. No, 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 no. And, that's like, you know, and, you, and you certainly can't do it that fast. And then, you know, I had a... You, then you, and then you're the one who has to now deliver. That's another example. And then you feel bad. You feel depleted. You have the superwoman sob, and you're and you could have avoided all of that by just identifying and being aware and saying, "Wait a minute, I have to reserve a little bit for self care, so I can do just you know I can do a lot, but I have to reserve a little bit so I don't get depleted 
right? And and end up overwhelmed and over it. Only if we take out that word little bit, Judy. We cannot <laughs> <laughs> erase, 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 erase. We must retain our own life force and then say, this is what I can do that's in harmony. I, this is in harmony for me to give. I can give this time. I can give this, these, this, this effort. And it, it all comes back to harmony. What's in harmony to give that you and and a lot of times we overgive because we think we have to or something bad will happen if we don't but we we've, we've made that up inside ourselves and this where it pushes against us in our own fear um, that everything's going to fall apart or we might not have enough or somebody won't get what they need and we've basically taken on responsibility for the world and for everybody in it and that has to stop and no one can make us do that except for us individually as women and and beings <laughs> I think part of it is for a lot of women is the expectations of the people around us. And you talk in the book about resetting those expectations of the people around us. How do we achieve that? People will treat you how you teach them to treat you. And so whenever I start working with women around this, I always say, look, here's here's what you can expect resistance, expect resistance from those around you who are benefiting from your overgiving and overcompensating and overextending and also expect resistance from yourself. And so I think when you start to make shifts in your life, you just have to expect and kind of see like, oh, people have been trained this way. So have compassion for yourself and for them. And then you employ harmonic defiance. And actually, there's two parts to that. One, you just start doing things differently. And if they don't like it, don't pick it up. Don't pick up the guilt. This is like the interesting thing. I talk about this in the book about guilt. Guilt is a is a is a distorted response unless you've cheated, stolen, or killed somebody. And if you haven't done those three things, you all, it is a distorted response. And so when you find yourself feeling guilty for not doing something, I want you to stop and pause and really go deeper within yourself and be like, and really look underneath that guilt because it's, it's in hear my voice. This is a distorted response. Why am I feeling guilty? <laughs> I don't even feel guilty about this. And it's a really, it's a deep place of that self-love and self-sustainability of it's, it's not just okay to have your needs met. It's actually essential if you want to stay healthy and vibrant so that you can be here for the long term for what and who you love. Absolutely. And we can't do it all ourselves. I love that you remind us of that. Christine, you also have a wonderful podcast. What is it called? It's called Feminine Power Time. Turn off the chatter. Tune in to what matters. Oh, that sounds great. My favorite concept in your whole book is this concept that women pace themselves versus push themselves. And I guess the question that some people may be wondering is how can we do that and still achieve your goals or deal with all of these things like going on almost like a juggler, you're juggling it all. And yet you still want to achieve your goals, but you want to pace yourself versus pushing yourself. How do we do that? Yeah, that could be in a whole other podcast too, but let me give you two things over here. Here's the thing. This is a practice. We have to get that we are rewiring deep imprints, you all, inside of us for how we've been trained to work and the deeper parts within us that cause you to strive and grind and push. I love your list on page 188 of your book, uh, Receiving Mantras. And you say, just choose two that reflect um, how you want to feel or make up your own. But I love these. They're things like, I am valued. I am whole and healed. I am met. I am supported. I am safe. I am nourished. I am seen. I am protected. I am connected. I am enough. I am worthy. I am nurtured. 
I'm surrounded by love. I'm just doing my part. I am my favorite. I am divinely guided. Wow. What a list. <sighs> makes me exhale. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else. Those are, um, those are the, I am receiving mantras. And I, um, in my research, I just asked the question, how would we feel if we were fully receiving? And those 15 mantras are what um, came through. And I use those in many ways, but one way that you can use those is to choose one and then make it how you start your day. So it's a it's kind of my secret, my secret morning practice where as soon as I register, as soon as you register, you're awake in the morning, put this imprint into your mind. As soon as you and you so it's like so yours is I'm divinely guided, Judy. That's the one that really struck you. So imagine Judy, you're sleeping and you wake up, you know, that moment where you're like, I'm awake, right? And then instead of like you know, jumping out of bed or you know, saying hello to anyone or doing whatever, you just close your eyes. And you say that mantra to yourself, I am divinely guided. I am divinely guided. And you just kind of breathe a couple of times and you just say it until you can kind of, you know, feel the, the, the yogis call it the click. You, know, you just kind of feel it starting to infuse into your body. And there's a lot of um, sacred technology and mind brain technology around all of this. But, you know, we don't need to go into all of that because we women know these things. So we can just trust it. I want to ask you, what do you most hope that women will take away from your book, Overwhelmed and Over It? That it's not your fault that you feel so burned out, overwhelmed. B, you're never going to solve this with a self-care strategy, a time management strategy. Um, Three, we've been basically bred to be much more like human machines than human beings. D, the power within you is there. You have the power to create the world you wish. I cannot promise you you'll never feel overwhelmed. I can't promise you a Mercedes Benz on top of a hill. There's probably less. I mean, there should be less. You know, there should be less of that anyway. But it's. I can promise you that if you if you really surrender to living in alignment with your heart's desires, your soul's path, and you will create a life that's beyond even your imagination right now. And it's not going to happen overnight. You have to like, it's going to take, but it's like, it will happen more and more every day. And you don't have to do it alone. Like this really is the time for the women to gather and we will rise. We are rising, but we are going to do it together as a collective of, of people and planet. Mm, I love that. That sounds wonderful. What is bliss for Christina Rilo? Mm, I'm looking at it right now. I'm so grateful I get to live on this island as I've been writing this book and I'm looking at it at the Puget Sound. So it's water, there's birds. I feel like there's like an estuary <laughs> in front of my house. I have an apple tree, there's boats going by, a big sky. And I, um, I'm just so grateful for the beauty that's on the planet. And I can tell you that like when I feel tweaked out and I just go sit on the earth, which seems like so simple, but it will realign me in 10 minutes. And I start every morning by going outside and putting my feet on the grass. And I, I just, I'm so grateful for this planet and its beauty and it's free. <laughs> you all like it's, you know, it's free. It's here. And, um, and I'm, I think that is, and, and then being here with you all. I mean, Judy, thank you. And to the producers that are, are here and to everyone who's here, like 
we are changing the world together through our own imaginations and our own willingness to do it differently. And as a person who felt alone a lot of her life um, and um, to just feel the sisterhood coming together, that is the other thing that brings me absolute bliss and working in collaboration, each of us focused on our part. Well, I have to say, Christine, it's really been blissful talking to you. And I want to thank you so much for being our guest today. What is the best way for people to contact you and follow you on social media and get your book? Yeah, best way will connect with me on my podcast, Feminine Power Time. It's the best way to do that. So just subscribe on your podcast and or um, you can go over to my website, which is Christine Arilo, and that's A-R-Y-L-O.com. And then the book site is overwhelmedandoverit.com. Super simple. Um, and then <laughs> my name is basically how you follow me and everything else. But I would say my, my podcast is the best way to, to stay connected. I, I think this book would make a fantastic Christmas gift. And I think you should get two, one for you and one one for someone you love, a friend or relative, and give them the, the book as well. And I think this would be just the most beautiful Christmas gifts so that people can go into 2021, which we, we're very excited about, uh, in, a, in a very positive and beautiful way. Thank you so much for being here, Christine. Thank you, Judy. It was great. We're going to go on a short commercial break more with Finding Your Bliss and we come back, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. Lori Perlstein is an improv artist. She's worked as an actor, comedian, and casting director before switching gears to pursue a more stable career. She studied business at Ryerson, which led her to a position at Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising, but her creative passions couldn't be ignored. So Lori moved to New York City to study with actor Philip Seymour Hoffman also with Yuda Hagen and Austin Pendleton. Six years later, she moved back to Toronto and founded Playworks, which is the culmination of her passion, creative training, and formal education. Lori uses the principles of improv to help people become more comfortable with being uncomfortable, overcome fear of judgment, and develop the confidence to face challenges. Playworks has been featured on CP24, CBC, Rogers, CTV, and now... Zoomer. Lori, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So happy that we finally were able to do this. I know. So, Lori, you have worn so many hats. You have been a comedian. You've been a casting director. You're an improv artist. Uh, I don't even know where to begin, but I'm going to start with improv because I've always been so fascinated by it. For those in the audience who don't know exactly what improvisation is, can you describe what it means and how it works? Yeah, so improv is really 
communicating without a script, thinking quick on your feet, saying the first thing that pops into your head. So a lot of people think Second City, they think comedy, which yes, a lot of improv does turn into comedy, but a lot of that comes from the fact that everything is happening in the moment and that it wasn't planned. So when you know that someone's just coming up with something and they're sort of like, uh, 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 and they just spew something out, that's usually why it's funny. So it's really just practicing being quick on your feet and just sort of going with your instincts. Would you say this has a lot to do with confidence just because it, to put yourself out there and take a risk, like what if you, what you say is not funny or is silly or whatever, is part of this just related to confidence? Like whatever, I'm just going to say it and hopefully it's going to land in the right place. Yes. What do you tell people about that? Yes. I think for someone like me who was doing plays and and on stage and performing since I was a little kid, obviously getting up in front of people was not something that made me nervous. But even for people who don't automatically have the confidence, I always try and explain to them that in life, there are so many things where you kind of just got to go for it and not know how it's going to turn out. And that's really the goal. I don't work with people for the sake of trying to make them funnier, you know, but a lot of times when someone's just open to trying it, even if they do say something not so funny or have that moment where they're a deer caught in the headlights, it's about finding the levity in that situation and knowing that the more you do it, the more you are going to be able to to think quick and come up with something clever. And so it's really working a muscle like anything else. Absolutely. Were you always drawn to Second City and other improvisational troops? What attracted you in in the beginning to improvisation? Initially, it was just an outlet for me to express myself and have fun. Then later in life, when I started going through some personal challenges, I found that the rules that you had to use to be successful in improv were really the rules that could help you with everything in your life, like saying yes to things and embracing mistakes and trying to find something positive that can, that can come out of something that initially was just negative and being in the moment. Everything that you have to practice to be a good improviser are amazing life lessons. And so then I was drawn to it on a whole other level. You also say that improvisation can help people feel happier and more relaxed. And since this is finding your bliss, we're always looking for great tips on how that can happen. But how does improv help people feel happier? Well, it's fun. It's like a game. And I think the older you get, and I know some people might be rolling their eyes going, that does not sound fun to me. It does not sound fun to me to get up (laughs) and have to be spontaneous when that's not my thing. But really what it comes down to is just, having more of that carefree, fun attitude of just saying, screw it and going for it and, and laughing. And I think so much about finding your bliss is being able to focus on the positive and know that there are going to be certain things in, in everybody's life that's going to make them uncomfortable. But the greatest way to overcome that is just to accept the fact that there's always going to be obstacles and you can either freak out and be anxious about the future or be stuck in the thing that didn't work out in the past, or you can just kind of 
be present, be fearless, and go for it. And there's something so freeing and exciting about that. And I'm speaking not so much for myself as much as the people who the first time they did it, I know it was not something they were looking forward to. And the second they were done, it's kind of like going off a really high diving board and looking down and thinking, okay, this is terrifying. But then the second you just go one, two, three, and you jump, it's like just this freeing experience. Uh And it's not as dangerous. (laughs) It's not as dangerous as skydiving. What is the correlation between cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness, and improv? Well, in cognitive behavioral therapy, you have to challenge your negative beliefs and your absolute statement. So this is something that I practiced when I was a teenager and and my father was sick. My mother had me seeing somebody professionally and, you know, I would go in and say, everything in my life sucks. And the doctor would be like, everything in your life sucks? Let's investigate that. And then you realize I'm healthy. I have a great family, you know, that there are all these good things. And it really depends on what we focus on. And the staying present and not dwelling on the past or being anxious about the future is one of the core principles of cognitive behavioral therapy that light bulb just went off in my head where I was like, that's very similar to improv. And it's really empowering to just be like, I'm not going to worry about anything except for what is happening in this moment. And in this moment, things aren't so bad. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And I guess the best improv artists probably know how to do that naturally, right? They just stay in the moment. And the more they're in the moment and not editing and revising their words, the funnier and the more real and authentic they are. Absolutely. So like I said, I don't focus on the humor, but just in terms of how I want to live my life. I mean, my dad was sick. That didn't go away, but it didn't have to make every moment miserable. So all of a sudden, whether it's a sunset, whether it's an afternoon with friends, especially during this pandemic, I mean, there's been a lot of really hard times for a lot of people, you know, financially, professionally, personally, and you can be living in this awful pandemic that we're in every single day, or you can marvel in in the sunset or the afternoon you just spent walking and looking at the leaves changing. And then all of a sudden, at least you're getting a break from the craziness. And, and to me, that's, that's the most you can ask for, you know, I mean, there's definitely real challenges and I'm not one of those people that thinks that I can just live in a world where everything is just blissful all the time. But, you know, that's why I love this show so much is it really is about just finding those moments where everything is okay. And a lot of times, as soon as you can do that, the bad times don't seem as bad because you've just flipped your perspective and you're just looking at it from a different point of view. Mm -hmm. What are some misconceptions about improv that you can dispel for us? Because I think people are scared of improv. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Right? Yes, very much so. I think the misconception is that it's like, stand-up comedy, that the reason people do improv is to brush up on their comedic skills. Um, That is a result, but that is never the goal. Absolutely. Did you ever do stand-up comedy per se, or was it more sketch? Oh, no, no, no. I actually did more stand-up than I did sketch. The whole time I was in New York, I was doing stand-up. And thank God for my improv background, because it was, I mean, it's scary for anybody to try it, even if you're someone who's comfortable on stage and speaking in front of people. 
But knowing that if somebody yelled something out in the crowd or if I was stuck and didn't remember what I was supposed to say next and I got sidetracked, that instead of ignoring it and just hoping nobody was going to notice, I would actually acknowledge it. And there's something so freeing of being like, okay, I have no idea what I was just talking about. (laughs) Then you get a laugh. And all you were doing was just being honest and just being real. And I think we need more of that in life. So that's why I encourage anybody who's never tried it just to come in and do it and just focus on being yourself. What led you to moving to New York? That's kind of a big thing to do. You were sort of settled here. You had a job. You were, you had studied business. <laughs> you, you had a position at Sachi and Sachi. What made you say, you know what? I'm getting on a plane on how you got there on a, on a car ride or whatever. And I'm going to New York City. What prompted you to do that? Well, that was supposed to be the plan after high school. And that's when my father was sick. And the idea of leaving and knowing like, and thinking, again, this was all part of my journey of being so focused on the past or worried about the future. What if he dies? And I went to go live my dream. I'll feel guilty for the rest of my life. Like these were the the thoughts that I had in my head. And um, my grades weren't good enough to get any type of... um, scholarships or anything like that, because I was definitely not Miss Academic. So mm-hmm. that's when I started working and trying to, you know, find something else that would, you know, distract me from what I really wanted to do. Then next thing I knew, I so then I was working in casting, just working for other people as, as um, an assistant, an associate, a reader. But I was saving all my money and saying, I don't think all my friends started to get engaged and you know, we were in our 20s and I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to live the rest of my life without following this dream. Like it just, it wouldn't go away. And so I ended up moving in my late 20s. Well, you followed your bliss. You followed your passion and your bliss and you went, yep. that's so gut. Sold my car, got on, got on a plane yeah, and I just did it. Wow. That is so incredible. So you get there, you get to New York and what happened? Uh, I went to school. I was able to, uh, get into Uta Hagen's school. It's called HB Studio. And thank God it was a reasonably priced school started by her. And um, Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira had a big part of, of starting that school in the 50s. And it was all about keeping it affordable. So anybody who wanted to study would have the opportunity to. I have to interrupt you because guess what? We just hit a whole show. You can check out the podcast with Darren Baker. Oh, yes, and of actually, course. <laughs> and he also studied with Uta Hagen. And is there anything that stands out about her for you? I would say she is a tell it like it is in the most honest <laughs> way. But because she is, she was so smart and she was so intuitive. Like she picked up on anything and everything, you just kind of had to go, all right. You know, whereas sometimes people would be sensitive and, and didn't want to hear any feedback that, that was not positive. Um, she definitely didn't, uh, try to let you down easy. She really did tell it like it is, but I, I was ready for it. Mm, That's so amazing. You also studied with the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. Wow. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I studied with him at Circle in the Square. He was doing um, he was doing a Broadway play there. But my teacher that I studied with at Circle before I got into HB Studio was his teacher. And so he would come and do 
workshops. And then I met him also at, at Circle when he was doing a, a Broadway play and asked him if I could work for his theater company. And then I ended up being able to help him uh, whenever he was uh, shooting something and needed somebody to run lines with him. So, you know, I got something very different from him, which was more about, Udo was more about the specificity of your objective. And from Phil, it was really more about the specificity of every single word that you say and having a personalization for that. So there was no line that was, even if you set a line like a throwaway, there was something so deep and real and specific in that line. What was he like as a person? He was like the the funny, sweet guy that you went to high school with. Mm. He was just like goofy and sweet and sensitive and and... And, and so real and so not about Hollywood and fame. Like when, when he took on a role, he literally put everything into it. He would talk in that voice for three months until he <laughs> shot the film. He was just like really intense when it came to acting and really just funny and cool and, and, and such a special human being. Wow. What what a phenomenal experience to have worked with these people. You sort of took everything, all of these experiences as a casting director, as an actor, as a comedian, living in New York, working with some of the best people, actors and teachers, and you formed this company called Playworks, which you have described as the culmination of your passion, training and education. Can you, but I know it's very far reaching. You do all kinds of cool things. Can you tell us a little bit about Playworks? Yeah. So I think it was really just how can I find a way to make a living without having to give up what I love? I mean, that's really what it came down to. Because once I was in my 30s, um, uh, the idea of bartending until three in the morning and so I could go to auditions and not have a quote unquote, you know, real job, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was just exhausted. So I just kind of started teaching a few classes, like friends who had kids at schools. Oh, do you want to do a lunch program? Maybe like do some improv? Sure. And then one of my friends who works in the corporate world, do you think you could come in and do like a team building session? The employees need to learn how to communicate better and whatever. And all of a sudden, because I've worked in all of those worlds, I was able to just sort of take all the things I've learned and sort of help different people in different scenarios, apply those to just, as my tagline says, keep improving. That's so cool. I think you even taught my daughter, Lily. I did. She was very young at Camp Walden. At school and at camp. Yes. Oh my She was one of my star students. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cute. You also are able to do this on Zoom. It's pretty amazing how much we can do on Zoom. It's so far reaching. Are you finding that you've been able to sort of parlay all of these skills and teach classes on Zoom? Yes. I mean, I much prefer face-to-face. So it was a challenge at first, but I think any opportunity to have fun, and there are people that feel a little bit less pressure sitting on their couch with a beverage than they would be in the room with the rest of their colleagues. So there's that. So it's just about, you know, trying to find the positive in the situation. So yeah, there's a little bit of a lag sometimes and I have to give everyone a number so they know who's next. You know, I've had to modify it slightly, but the learning is still the same and the, and the, 
the fun is still the same. So, you know, we'll stay on Zoom as long as we have to. I love that you said, just be happy that you have a Zoom meeting to be on. And you're so right. It's, but I think gratitude is a huge part of getting through this time is what is good right now? Not focusing on what isn't here. It'll come back. But what is good right now? And, and just really focusing on those things make life so much better. What do you mean when you say build a bridge and get over it? Oh, that's a good one. That's my favorite saying. I wrote a play by that name because it was my favorite saying. Okay. When, when you hear that, some people are like, oh, build a bridge and get over it. To me, it's all about the delivery. <laughs> the way I say it is build the bridge and get over it. Whatever is on the other side that you want to get to or achieve, you're going to have to do the work. Mm-hmm. But if you do the work, you can get there. Absolutely. If you build it, they will come. What movie was that from? Yeah. It's kind of more like that. But I know, so I'm not saying get over it. I'm saying do the work and you can get over it, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so true. So Lori, why is laughter the best medicine? Laughter is the best medicine for a few reasons. First of all, it's free. It's healthy. I really believed, I mean, I think that's why I chose the career that I did. It is that healthy feeling that you get in your stomach, like just getting the endorphins going and any feeling of like stress is just gone with laughter. So true. It really is true. It, It actually changes the energy of a room. It just makes everyone relax. It's just like the feel good joy booster in the air and, and talk about again, bliss. Uh, it's just one of the pathways, right? Laughing. And, and this, this work that you do is so great because I think it frees you and allows you just to be more relaxed, which, you know, what do they say that babies laugh 300 to 600 times a day? And as adults, we, we don't do it as much. So we have to look for opportunities to laugh more. We do. And, and there's no greater way to get rid of stress because mm-hmm. it, just, it just takes away everything when you're like, I'm not going to focus on that and or I'm going to focus on the funny of that screw up that just happened or whatever it is the second you can laugh at it and not take something so seriously and find the humor life is just better absolutely very very true what is bliss for Lori Pearlstein recently it's been summer swimming barbecues friends i'm just all <laughs> about laughing and having fun and And that's really been my bliss this summer. You know, there was nothing really extravagant about it. It was just very simple. And every time I would jump in that pool, I was taking in every second. When I'm laughing and I'm surrounded by people that I love, I just love love and laughter and friendships and being grateful for for all of that. That's, That's my bliss. Sounds great. What is the best way, Lori, for people to follow you on Instagram or contact you if they would like to hire you as an improv coach or for their corporations or for all of the different things that you do? I guess it's best either on uh, Facebook, Lori Pearlstein on Facebook, or you can go to my website, which is my initials LP and the word playworks.com. It's all one word, lpplayworks.com. That's fantastic. It's really been great having you here. And I want to thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. We're going to go on a short commercial break. When we come back, more with Finding Your Bliss. Back in a moment. 
Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zuma Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And this week's featured artist is Paige Blossom. At 17, this contemporary pop singer-songwriter is well on her way to creating a promising musical career. Just recently winning the Top 10 Mid-Year Song Contest, hosted by Claudia E. Records in Australia, Paige Blossom is no stranger to performing. She has entertained at many cultural, artistic, and fundraising events in and around the greater Toronto area in Ontario, Canada. Paige relished in the opportunity to be mentored by Canadian Idol winner Brian Mello in the program called Beyond the Melody. Weaved through her songs, you can hear the musical influences of Taylor Swift, Billie Eilish, and Demi Lovato. Paige describes her music as personal and expressive of issues of significant importance to her, such as bullying and mental health. She says, and I quote, my lyrics express my pain and darkness as well as my triumph through my life experiences. Currently, Paige divides her time between school, recording new music, and nurturing all of her artistic sides. She is currently working on a video for Scared to Love with Angel Park, an arts and entertainment company in Toronto, Canada. Let's have a listen now to Scared to Love. Bad memories on my mind I've seen a thousand times Sweetest words really hurt When they don't mean none I'm tired of playing dumb I'm too good to feel so numb I won't fall for this song When you come sing them We're alone and it feels so crazy I guess you forgot, bet you forgot
That was beautiful. Thank you so much, Paige. Each week, we spotlight a singer, singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you're a singer and you want to be considered to appear on Finding Your Bliss Radio, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. Also, we encourage you to visit our online magazine at findingyourbliss.com. And of course, for the latest and the greatest and lots of great contests lately, follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank my guests, Christina Rilo, Lori Perlstein, and Paige Blossom for being here today. Also, a big thank you to our supervising producer, Mag Ruffman, production manager, Siobhan Kiley, PA researcher and editor, Haley Allegia, audio producer, Faz Kazi, and to everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to embrace your power to stay centered and take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.